The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. Illusion magic. I don't think Jesus played D&D. Just going to say that. What? Which is kind of cool. It's like the first time they actually get to go to Egypt and they don't just screw them over with like some weird wife shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) And we're just hanging out in the Bible doing normal Bible things and that's one of them. Are we are we bonding over a traumatic child experience with a Bible? <laughs> All right, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Second Rate Saints podcast. We're wrapping up our Patriarch series with Joseph. Uh, I'm Caleb. To my left is I'm Joel, and to my left is Joshua. We are missing Colton today. It's sad. It is sad. And and the norm. We're missing Stuart again. I'm always missing Stuart. Oh, Not even yeah. when we're on the podcast. I just miss him. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> every, <fair. laughs> every episode, it just gets sadder. It does. Because it's like, oh, this is the 20th episode. We haven't had him on the podcast. This is the this 21st is the episode. This the 32nd episode, actually. There, oh, yeah, yeah. Were yeah. that many episodes? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I look at um, it every once in a while. Joel, you read a book recently. What'd you read? Are you asking me what have I read? I am. I am. Thank you. Thank you for, for knowing the yeah. smooth transition. <laughs> the smooth transitions of the what have you read. Um, yeah, so this last probably week and a half, I went through a book called Science and the Mind of the Maker. Now, since I've... The last few years of Bible college have not had me reading a lot of apologetics. So this was like kind of refreshing to get into. Um, science... Now, Caleb has also heard me complain about this book, so I'm going to be playing both sides here. There's, there, there are things I really like, and there's things I really don't like about apologetics. Um, I think in some ways it's accepting a challenge that, we, that we've just blindly accepted, hmm. that we've allowed um, scientific thought, and I'm, I'm using air quotes there, scientific thought, to uh, define the terms that we have to answer, right? Um, so we have to have an explanation for how evolution works in the Bible, or we have to, like, this kind of sure. thing, right? Yeah. So that's ask, where theistic, ask, theistic evolution rises. Ask questions like of the Bible that it was never intended to answer. Yeah, I mean, um, it was, well, it was Galileo's whole thing. It was like, the Bible is not a science textbook, but where it speaks on science, it seems to be harmonious. Yeah. Like, that's his, that's his kind of outlook, right? And, and Science in the Mind of the Maker um, puts forth this... Uh, Oh, sorry, by Melissa Kane Travis. Um, that's that's the author. She puts forth what's called the Maker's Thesis. Um, and it's basically that an honest and true pursuit of truth will reveal biblically adjacent truth. Hmm. Right? So that um, if we're using the Bible as our yardstick of truth, we can measure scientific discoveries and see that they do line up in a surprising number of ways. Sure. Um a couple of her specific uh, examples would be like the teleological argument. Um, as we study philosophy more and more, um, or the cosmological argument, things like that. Um, so these are the origin of the universe. As we study the origin of the universe, even from a secular point of view, a lot of the presuppositions of science are coming in line with Sure. Um, with Christian belief that there was a creator, that we are made for a purpose. 
um, that there was an origin to the universe, period, right? Yeah. Well, I um, think, no, I read it a couple months back. Yeah. Um, and I speed read it. So I don't know how much I actually really got, to be honest with you. The parts that I enjoyed were um, less less hyper-apologetic. was more her just going through, hey, it's not Christians aren't reactionary mm-hmm. when they say, you know, evolutionism or evolution... Uh, evolutionary thought um, is compatible with Christianity. It's not. It's not reactionary. Christians, right from the very beginning, were like, "Oh yeah, no, I can see how that works," mm-hmm. or how yeah, there had been multiple um, non-literal interpretations for Genesis um, one to three, yeah. or how the heliocentric versus the um, no, I can't think of the other term heliocentric versus the. Um, Earth centric, the Terra centric, the I don't remember what the term is for. Yeah, whether whether the sun is the center of our solar system or the ga- or the reality in this case, yeah. um, at that time, mm-hmm. or the Earth, and how Christians are lined up on both sides of those arguments. This isn't it, Christians aren't being reactionary when all of a sudden they go, you know what? No, I do think that this mm-hmm. maybe has more legitimacy. Yeah, um, I liked that, and even that there are scientific arguments that are contained within the structure of the church. We're talking about it to each other. So we fight with each other on mm-hmm. some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what the Bible puts forth, right? Like, I mean, flat earthers use the Bible as a proof text. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I think that's a huge misinterpretation. Um, and it's blatantly proven false by the scientific community. So we have to answer that. We have to make those things, um, we have to recognize their cohesion. Yeah. Right? Um, <clears throat> now, I won't go through everything because it is a very broad explanation of a huge amount of, of scientific apologetics. Um, but one chapter I want to focus on is her chapter on Darwin, mm. um, which I think she does a really good job of um, because it's not like he came up with an idea nobody could counter and then it just took off and um, destroyed any kind of Christian understanding of the world. Which is how it's commonly thought in pop culture. Well, in neo-Darwinism yeah. it is, mm. right? But at the time... There were theologians, scientists, philosophers all coming against this idea, and I think some of them were pretty successful. Even mm-hmm. like um, she she talks about the watchmaker analogy, analogy mm-hmm. right, which is ancient, right? Like Cicero came up with it. So even before Darwin, there was this idea of like the complexity of design indicates a creator, right? Um, this is the the. Um, Argument from intelligent design, you'll see it in a lot of Christian apologetics, even if you go into like William Lane Craig stuff. He Muslim and Jewish as well. Yeah, Muslim and Jewish will also use it just yeah. because, you know, creation story is the same, um, <laughs> or largely the same. And uh, yeah, so is his name John John Paley? Is that his? It sounds familiar. But yeah, I, so I can't, he, he was actually it. before Darwin. He wrote a book called Natural Theology, um, and, and she covers this, um, where... His one of his central points was watches were always intended to make better watches, <laughs> right? Which I thought was a really cool take on it. It's like, hmm. um, the development of watches does not is not a capstone, right? And this is the idea of microevolution, right? Um, that Darwin's theories can still be true, um, within a microevolution context. Um, now I'm not like a pro evolution, anti evolution guy, I, I prefer not to take sides on it because it's not my area of study. Um, but I think from an apologetic standpoint, we can definitely see the usefulness of intelligent design 
as a proof for the existence of God, or at least the teleological argument that we've been created for a purpose, mm-hmm. right? And I think that Paley's point of watches were always intended to make better watches <laughs> is super mm-hmm. interesting, right? Um, yeah. That's that's my, my biggest takeaway from the book. And How would you... Where would you rate this in a one to five? It's going to be so dependent on the reader. Okay. Um, if you're someone who likes apologetics but hasn't read a lot, it's going to be phenomenal. If you're someone who's really into apologetics and hasn't read quite a bit, you're probably going to know the counters to a lot of the arguments that are already in it. Mm-hmm. Right? Apologetics feels a little bit like chess to me, where sometimes if you know the move that defeats another move, it, it takes away from the value of the of the reading, right? Yeah. So it might not be as in-depth as you like. Like if you were super into mm-hmm. like quantum physics, apologetics, or like metaphysics, or if you have gone into like William Lane Craig's super in-depth stuff, you might not enjoy it as much. Um, what, I don't know. What does that mean about its target? What would you say its target demographic is? I think it's w- with those who have begun to struggle with um, things like theistic evolution mm-hmm. um, and uh, even like the historical problems of scripture um, and explaining creation, mm. um, young earth creationists, that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's super useful to have this as, as an anchoring point of what we actually believe as evangelical Christians. Because um, I don't even think it represents a Catholic worldview as much as it does. Might just, also just theistic, just theistic. Yeah, it might also be a good book for the kind of like the the parent that has that that is raising a Christian family that is sending their kids to public school, mm-hmm. and so they're constantly being confronted with the evolutionary story. That's but the fair. parent's not quite a gri- equipped mm-hmm. with like how do I deal with this, or like what should they know from the Christian perspective as a counter to just the constant. Pose well, of purely science, purely and, evolutionary thoughts. Some stuff is not even really a, it's a count. Some stuff aren't isn't even a counter. Yes, what it is is it's okay. That's that is fact. What what let's say X is that is fact. But the claim that is made off of X mm-hmm. that's not part of the mm-hmm. the fact that's proven. That's a philosophical presupposition that's just kind of snuck in there. And so I think I think. As Christians, we need to be equipped to kind of differentiate yeah. between those. Um, it could also work for people you hear making bad arguments, mm. <laughs> right? It's people who are like, well, yeah. evolution is just a theory. Well, it's like, no, in <laughs> science, a theory is something to be interpreted very differently. And she yeah. covers that as well. Yeah. Um, it's only like 200 pages. It's a pretty short read. Yeah, it's, it's not a like a heavy, heavy book. But uh, yeah, like I said, it was a... A bit of a breath of fresh air after not reading apologetics for so long, because it was an interest of mine early on in college. I think I would have enjoyed it more then than I did now. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. And just because I like to ask Josh this question, Josh, <laughs> how would you rate the cover? As an aesthetics the guy. cover? Um, oof. Get here. It I mean, does look like a high school science textbook. A <laughs> I do like the Vitruvian Man and the brain scan, the MR, the MRI brain scan in there, mm-hmm. imaging scan, and then the what's the the tool Protractor called? Protractor or whatever. Protractor, yeah. I don't think that's what's called. Protractor is the one. It's that's the a, uh, a rounded ruler. Um, you're right. It's the the 
the one part of the Freemason symbol, just the, the top part of the <laughs> yeah. triangle, not the measuring stick. So it's got a couple things you like. Okay. This is good. No. This is good. Um, and yeah, I mean, I give it a out of 10, like a four. Okay. Just for originality's sake, like it's nothing huge there. Yeah, it's I mean, just every generic assets, every, yeah. every like semi intellectual book that's like trying to be something puts the Vitruvian man on there. It's just yeah. like, this is the stamp <laughs> or of, conspiracy theory or conspiracy theory. It's just like, it's every attempt of a book to be something great in slapped the Vitruvian man on there. I love how hard his takes are. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it, like, I mean, like the book sounds good. Um, it's got a good. Uh, um, forward from Lee Strobel on the front top. Yeah, I got mixed feelings about Lee Strobel. The, the best part in in one of the chapters is where she just hugs J.P. Moreland's philosophical argument for how possibly humans may have a metaphysical compound, which we would often call the soul. And it's just like, oh yeah, J.P. Moreland's really good. I should read more of him. Yeah, yeah. she's also she got a, source as well. She's yeah. also got a ton of sources. Yeah, in the notes, like mm-hmm. this is a huge bibliography. Yeah, um, for a book that size, she did her sure. uh, doctorate thesis on this topic. If my memory yeah. is right, oh, that's is cool. This her doctorate thesis? No, no, no. Oh, it's a summarized version. Yeah, I no, it's. I think it's I, her doctorate thesis is more specific. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a four out of ten. But for any reader um, who, like me, is really convinced by covers, yeah. um, buy it and then give it away. read it and then give it away if you don't want it on your bookshelf it's worth reading that's funny yeah but we're on our last our last episode of the patriarch series i'm excited you guys are excited hopefully the listeners are excited um joel yeah can you who are we talking about um well we're gonna talk about joseph but before Smith? we really hop into our, our topic, I think I'm going to plug our socials. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we've tried to do that earlier on in the episode just because, you know, if you don't listen that long, you're never going to get our contact information or whatever. Um, if you've got questions about the episode, if you've got something to contribute to the episode, we would love it if we got an email from you at uh, secondratesaints at gmail.com. You can also check us out at www.secondratesaints.com. Um, that's where we have links to everything we're doing. We've got our Instagram on there. We've got our YouTube uh, link on there. We've actually got blog posts on there. Um, we're not as frequent with that one. That's kind of a future project that we're going to ha- start gradually doing more and more uh, often as we, you know, come out of a busy season of school. We'll have some, yeah, uh, some more time to contribute to that. Um, yeah. Um, now that you have to buy the blue check mark on Twitter, are we going to do that? I don't for- want to use Twitter. I feel like every day it's something weird and political going on. We have that name. Logged. Um, if you see us on Twitter, follow us. Don't expect much. <laughs> if you see us posting something on Twitter, it's probably not us. <laughs> but actually, actually if, you, if you were to reach out to us on Twitter and we notice, it would make our day. I don't even know if we'd notice. I had to delete it off my phone. You know, they'll just give you unprompted like news alerts on Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't even posting. It's so dumb. I don't like Twitter, but that's probably the reason why we don't have it. Twitter is aggravating. Come on, Elon, why? (laughs) One thing we want to do is make interaction for our listeners easier. And one way we're going to do this is by having polls on both our Instagram and our YouTube. Um, It's going to do things like help you decide what topic we tackle next. Um, It's going to basically give us some feedback to see what, you guys are most interested in so as we go forward we can get a an authentic conversation going any any future um 
thoughts in real time would probably be based on that. Yeah, we've been playing around mm. with the concept of thoughts in real time. If you listen to our episode, I believe yep. two episodes back, um, where we will be responding to those questions. Um, we might make it a casual segment on the podcast if we get enough. If not, we're probably going to just collect them until we can make an episode out of it. So yeah, that's our our plans for Second Rate Saints. Check us out. Subscribe to us. You know, we're trying to um, grow our following a little bit. Just get the conversation a little bigger. That's our biggest thing. But basically, your call to do the questions is like the more they get involved, the more we're able to do stuff. Oh, for sure. It's a way to yeah. contribute to the podcast in a way that's not financial or even time consuming, really. Yeah. It's just, you know, if if we've inspired a thought in your head, then we'd love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I see we get into our episode um, on Joseph, the last of the patriarchs. Now, we did, we call it the Joseph story, but the reason it kind of fits into the patriarchs is because from a lot of commentators I was reading, the Joseph story is actually kind of a misnomer. Because it's talking about Jacob and his extended family. It's talking about how mm. Jacob has moved his entirety of his family to Egypt and why that happened and and all the forensics behind it. And even some of the individual actions that um, take place during that time, right? Um, it actually has a lot more character development. I tried to overlay it onto the hero's, uh, the hero's journey, <laughs> but it just turned out to be a side project all itself. So maybe as a future blog post or something like that, that might uh, that might show up. But for the purposes of this podcast, and so it doesn't become two hours of me just explaining what the hero's journey entails, <laughs> we're going to make it uh, just biblically-based stuff. Yeah. Nice. That sounds like a great blog post, though. Doesn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. I love literary criticism, but I love it when it's applied to the Bible. It's so weird that we've just come up with... I- Again, it's one of those things. Literary criticism is similar to the apologetics thing, where if you have an earnest... Um, seeking for it, you realize how significant of a literary piece the Bible is, mm. right? Because it has created a format that is accidentally or intentionally mimicked in modern literature. Yeah. So cool. I think both. Oh, it's definitely both, yeah. right? But and even from, there's Carl Jung's idea of, uh, is it Carl Jung or Joseph Campbell? It's archetypes. one of them. Not only archetypes, but dreams as the myth of culture. Mm. Sorry, myth as the dream of culture. Right, so... That's a it's, a, it's a whole thing. Um, but then we have to go into why you would classify the Bible as myth and not everyone likes that. So whatever. <laughs> well, we might tackle that one. Yeah. At some point. Structure of this episode. It's going to be in five different acts because we Ooh. get kind of, and I know that's a lot and it sounds like a lot, but you'll kind of understand when I go through it. So the first one is family conflict in Canaan. Mm. Kind of based off of this is where uh, Jacob kind of ended off in the last story. If you listen to our last episode, um, after the descendants of Esau in uh, chapter 36, um, we get into 37, and that's all family conflict. So that's 37 to 38 um, chapter. And then chapter 2 is Joseph's conflict uh, with imperial power in Egypt. So this is kind of his solo adventure. When he doesn't have as much influence from his family, it kind of sets up um, the scene. Um, Then chapter, or act 3, um, which is 42 to 44, the family conflict in Canaan and Egypt. Um, so this is when we start drawing in some of his brothers from the earlier act. Um, then Acts 4, Act 4, I keep on saying Acts 4 because I'm expecting to talk about the book of Acts, but it's not that, it's Act 4. Um, this is 45 to 47, the family is resolved in Egypt. And then Act 5, the family is blessed in Egypt 
and is looking to Canaan. So this is kind of like setting it up as the promised land as we go into um, Exodus, and it kind of just sets the stage for what we can be expecting. Um, it even, in my mind, it, it uh, encapsulates a lot of the oral tradition that the Israelites would be bringing into uh, Egypt with them, right? So this is, you can even see that at the end when Joseph and Jacob has their bones brought into Egypt. Yeah. Or Joseph wants them brought yeah. out of Egypt, Jacob wants them brought to Egypt, mm-hmm. which is, I think, cool. Yeah. It's cool. Any, any thoughts, questions, concerns? I mean... Before we get into the meat and potatoes? I think what's another thing to highlight is as you read the story of Joseph, you will also see... Like, we're going to get into it more in depth, but mm-hmm. there's heavy Christ imagery. Oh, yeah. Like, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also, it is, as the, at the end, as it is the end of Genesis. Yeah. It is the lead up to, like, this is the place of blessing. Everything is going right. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if they've returned to the garden. Yeah. yeah. But it's not. Mm-hmm. We'll probably. But we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but those are two things that it's like. This is the this is the ramp up, mm-hmm. but is it? I didn't come across this, but this is what I've generally thought. Is Joseph set up, but then he never really pays off to be the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of all the stuff in Genesis, like kind of one to one to eleven. Like, is he? Is it kind of set up? Is like. There's a lot of things that tie together, but then they just don't really get resolved. Not not to match the cosmic level that started um, the book. I don't know. That's how I've thought of it. I haven't read mm-hmm. any that anywhere. It's just kind of... Do either of you guys get that kind of view? Yes. Okay. Um, Have you read that anywhere? Yes. Um, specifically, it's... You've got the sun. They're blessed. Egypt's blessed because of that son, right? Because of Joseph being there, the the nation of Egypt is saved, not just the the Canaanite family. Yeah. Um. You've then got um, the whole world is blessed because the people around Egypt come and get food from Egypt because of Joseph. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of the blessings are brought. You've got the son. You've got the beginning of a nation because with Jacob and his family, just the family, mm-hmm. there's like 70 people yeah. by the end. And then all of the stuff that each of those family members owns, yeah. all of the servants, the small militia, the all that stuff. Um, but as you see the, the marker, which is a reference at the end of the story, Joseph dies. Yeah. Right. And it's and Jacob dies. And it's that reminder back to Genesis 4 when, and he lived so long and then he died and he lived so long and he died and he lived so long and he died Mm -hmm. as a reminder of because of your sin, you will die. Mm. Okay. I, I, yeah, I get that aspect. My thought was more with the, well, I guess you did mention it. Yeah. Um, the, the blessing of the nations. It's there. Yeah, definitely. But it's also because of that. It's basically saying, this is what it will look like. It's the beginning of that typology oh. theme. This is what it will look like. So in Joseph, you have the the, the first answer 
yeah. to the, let's say, the first installment of the typology to answer all of those yes. problems, which is yeah. the promise given to Abraham. Yeah. You've got the one who is second to the king, the king, mm-hmm. um, who has the spirit, mm-hmm. so the religious leader, mm-hmm. um, who preaches the word of God, is called by God to be into that higher status, goes into the pit, yeah, all that stuff. We'll get into there. Betrayed. Yeah, betrayed is not uh, seen as his own people, as one of him, mm-hmm. falsely accused for that crime. But yeah. Cool. I don't want to okay. get into the Christology stuff yet. Cool, cool. Because yeah. that'll come up, but okay. yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be kind of, it's decently apparent as we, as we go through. Um, well, even in our other episode, we talk about the suffering servant with Isaac. Mm-hmm. You see the same yeah. thing with Joseph. But the suffering servant, which which one are you talking about there? With um a lot of the themes Caleb mentioned with, in the Isaac video, mm-hmm. um Isaac, a lot of the themes in the suffering servant and in Isaiah are taken from Isaac. Yeah. Oh, yes, no, I, yeah. I understand what you're and saying. And so you yeah. see the same thing in Joseph with mm-hmm. his suffering. But Joel. Yeah. Act 1. Act one. So um, this is the family narrative back in Canaan. So as everything is being set up, um, it takes up a huge amount of like real estate in, in Genesis, as we all know, um, taking up from chapters 37 to 50, the, the whole story. Um, it's got like some weird character development stuff. Uh, it's also got the duplicate dreams. So double dreams. Mm-hmm. Um which this is kind of the first occurrence of a, of a double dream. Um, so dream interpretation in the ancient Near East is incredibly important, um, especially for high-ranking officials. So the fact that um, Joseph has this, uh, this double dream of his, of his brothers bowing down to him, um, and even his father bowing down to him is, is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the first dream that occurs in the Bible that doesn't have God as an active voice. Mm. So it's it's passively referring to God's plan. So even the fact that um, he sees the dream as God speaking to him could already be foreshadowing the spirit being upon him at this young age, mm. which we don't even know how young he would be, to be honest with you. Um, some have said 15 based off of kind of like arbitrary numbers. Huh. Um, but that seems really young for <laughs> even <laughs> any any major biblical character to be 15 years old. Um, <laughs> Considering... People are having kids at eighty nine. Well, because you do have uh, Samuel, mm-hmm. who's like interaction with the Spirit of God yeah. at like very young age. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's at a completely different era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just yeah, in the Bible, it's, yeah. You have so, examples. Um, one point, my my fiance made. Um, when she was reading on this topic, because she was she was doing some um, research for her own thing on Joseph, weirdly enough, at the same time we were planning this episode, um, she mentioned that one of the words used um, for them, for uh, Joseph being a, an assistant, um, could also be that he shepherded his brothers, right? So uh, not a shepherd's assistant, mm-hmm. but more like um, a shepherd manager almost, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like a really weird, uh, turn of phrase. I, I don't even have the, the commentary that she, she got that out of, but she's my source. So there we go. Um, and Trust so, me. Tra- my source, my fiance made it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and another point to the dream, um, there are similar dreams in other 
religious texts and in other history. Yeah. yeah, you had mentioned you'd done some some looking into that. Yeah. What so does that really look like? Specifically, the one person that's mm-hmm. uh, similar is uh, Sargon of Akkad has a very mm-hmm. similar dream, double dreams, uh, calling him to a rise of power based on a god. Okay. Like giving him dreams that he's going to be rise to power. And he's from a nowhere status. He's not the people group that is in power. And then his story later uh, is the story that is imprinted behind Moses's rise to power. Mm. Um, they're very similar. Um, so that's significant that it's th- near the Egyptian story. So it's Sargon of Akkad is deeply related to that history there. Then you've also got similar dreams in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. The Sumerian king Gudea okay. references having a double dream as well. Um, the poem of the righteous sufferer didn't get into that too much, but there's a and the Mari text, which is the um, the same one that brought up the Abrahamic quote about um, uh, what was it marriage. Yeah, there was something about marriage. We brought it up yes. a couple episodes ago. Yeah, and it's the same text that has both the relationship to Abraham's marriage yeah. custom. It was and, about Leah and Rachel. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's it. That's and it. to yeah. this. Um, oh, and um, the uh, the wife thing with Sarah, the the wife swap for um, yeah, if a uh, for Rachel yeah. and Leah. Yeah, it no, was no, 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 with Sarah a, and Hagar. A servant. Oh, bears a child, that one. Yeah, and then the I'm original sorry. barren yeah. mother conceives a child then the firstborn status goes to right, the, the true yeah. mother yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. the yeah. maidservant and so the mari text has come up multiple times in genesis yeah where's mm-hmm. its source its place of origin uh the city of mari which is which is an assyrian city okay middle east so again Mesop- related Mesop- to sargon of akkad Mesop- mesopotamia yeah and like divination of other cultural origins is not even uncommon among the stories we've already gone over in Genesis. Um, it, was it Laban? Says, I divined it, and now I know. Or yes. something like that. Yeah. And like we don't have any indication of how he divined it, but that could be anything from like oil reading, where they would pour like an olive oil on a on a plate of water, and then it would it would basically Ouija board its way and stuff. It's super <laughs> weird. Um, I think it's called lycomancy, actually. Yeah, or um, a goat where they take the liver of a goat or whatever. And So what they would do is they would have um, interpretive ideas, things that they think, a hypothesis. They would cut open a goat and then they would read its organs. Then they would write down in the book of oracles what the goat thing was. And then if it came true, they were like, oh, now we can look for this exact thing in other goats. Correlation is causation. (laughs) So that's one of the theories of how like um, the type of Sumerian divination that is found um, not only in Genesis, but also in parts of Daniel um, kind of like raises his head. And it is the inspiration behind a divination system in a book by James Islington. Uh, Islington? Yeah. Oh my um, goodness! Don't start recommending fantasy books. No, here. no, no. But it's it's it it's not just a historical thing that yeah. like people just figured out. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a known thing that appears in it shows up in pop fiction. culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Just stuff like that. But the he, Book I of Oracles he, thing specifically, yeah. the looking back on prophecies. Mm. If any yeah. of our listeners are interested in fantasy books, we would love to hear. Oh, email us. Josh will have a list. Yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> what's the name of the series? Um, Lacanius. The Lacanius Trilogy. Lacanius Trilogy by... James Islington. Or Islington. It's his it. first book series. The guys like it. I'm not as much of a fan. 
That's okay. He just has bad his, opinions. That's, that's why I tried to shut him down. Caleb, his uh, next about. book comes out in a few months. Next book. It's already been covered in the first book. That's whatever. <laughs> anyways. Joel just wants to be contrarian. That's be, I'm being a contrarian about this. Okay, anyways. So that method of divination, when we say that it's um, influenced by other religions or cultures or, or ideas... I think that God has a way of using that, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, I wouldn't say in the modern day we should look for alternate methods of divination because God's revelation is already found complete in the scripture through Christ. Yeah, not to say that he di- still doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not something that we should just, oh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's specifically outlawed mm-hmm. in the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Divination, no go. Kill yeah. the man if he does it. Yeah. But there are times where God has used divination for his purpose to lead people to him. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why dreams are always seen Mm -hmm. in Jewish culture as far more valid Mm -hmm. because they are, they, the person, the dreamer, the recipient of the, Mm -hmm. of the revelation essentially um, plays no active role. It is clearly God given. Mm -hmm. Um, And the clearest example that people are going to know, even if you're not a Christian is the three wise men. God directly draws people from mm-hmm. another culture mm-hmm. to Christ using astrology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is yeah. indicated that they are using like pseudo astronomy. Well, they're probably Zoroastrians. <laughs> yeah. Probably. That's not surefire, but that's, yeah, that's what we've well, guessed based off of the direction they come from. Yeah. 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 That or Babylonian wise men. Well, I mean, that would be the same thing. Those would likely be... They're Chaldeans, they're um, Babylonians, whatever, but they're kind of the same style. Yeah, pile. Zoroastrianism was just po- super popular all throughout the the uh, both north and southern Mesopotamia. Yeah, no, I just mean that uh, the Babylonian religion that is found, that the the Israelites confront is highly correlated to astrology. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, cool. Well, we've gone on this uh, odd side of divination, which I love because I think it's very <laughs> interesting. Um, I think there's like almost a redemptive quality to it. Um, not that can be practiced today, but just to see um, God speaking even before His word is put on paper, right? Um, it's very cool. Absolutely. Do you think trying to go back into the story? Yeah, but still related to the dreams. He goes and tells his brothers and his dad. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, there's two motivations or two possible motivations. Yeah. Um, either he's just like, hey, check this out. <laughs> God likes me better than you. Yeah. Um, or is it just like an innocent like, hey, guys, uh, God told me to rule you. <laughs> like, uh, this is a dream that happened. What, what do I do? And like, I, what, they're like, we don't I know. Do? You interpret, man. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, what do you think is the motiva- motivation there? I think it parallels pretty closely to Jacob's kind of deceit mm. of Isaac. I think it's claiming, um, probably claiming the promise of God through improper means. I think it was incredibly. A politically dangerous to just go walk right in and say, hey, God said I'm supposed to rule you. And that means the same thing that um, 
Jacob kind of messed up when he said, hey, give me your birthright for a bowl of soup. Right. Right. I think he, they're playing with really high stakes and they're not doing it smart. Interesting. A little bit of PTSD on Jacob's part is going, hey, yeah. be quiet, dude. Yeah. Don't don't be saying this stuff out loud. <laughs> yeah. But it, it does seem like Jacob in that moment is also like, like Jacob's response mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah, because he also says he's going to rule Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jacob's like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jacob's like, ah, God told me I could do that too, so you can't really take it away from me. <laughs> the battle of the blessings. Yeah, because J- Jacob's response, the one who also had a similar experience, is, uh, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves on the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did see, so like after he tells his, his brother, uh, everybody, um, and then he's sent to go report on his brothers, right? Um, I did see it was, oh, I forget the, I forget the author now, but, um, in commentary, I, I read that approximately he walks like a hundred miles, travels like a hundred miles to go report. Mm-hmm. So like the distance between where Jacob's at and where he goes to, for his, to see his brothers it wouldn't exactly be unbelievable for him just to die in the wild. Yeah. Um, and so when he's wow. like approaching and the brothers are like, hmm, this guy, <laughs> this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess now we get into the conflict with his brothers trying to kill him. Um, sort of trying to kill him. So cisterns, the reason they would be empty because of the dry season. It's pretty clear about that. Mm-hmm. Um but it's likely that they just thought he was going to die. Yeah. Um, but they were also used to capture slaves and uh, criminals, right? So it's likely that because they just threw him in there, somebody walked along and he's like, oh, you're selling them? And they're like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes the action of those traders coming along a salvific action, right? Like that is that is happenstance. That is... It seems like God ordained that he would be pulled out of there because if they just said no, then they're like, well, why not? Like, are you trying to murder this man? Well, this is another thing that... Solomon is slavery? What, are you going to murder him? Hey, (laughs) whoa, oh, buddy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're just going to make him like work for a a very angry woman. I don't know. (laughs) For for his whole life. (laughs) Here's two things that I found about the trade. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, three things. First of all, the people mentioned are Ishmaelites, but in this passage, they're Mm -hmm. interchangeable, interchangeably... Uh, referred to as also Midianites. Mm -hmm. Um, And you would go, oh, maybe they sold, like the Ishmaelites sold to the Midianites and the Midianites sold them to the Egyptians or people have tried to like figure out what's going on. But the author in Judges does the same thing. Mm. And so the Midianites and the Ishmaelites, the, the idea is that they, whoever the author of both books are, sees them as closely related. Yeah. Um, Which is significant later on with Jethro and, Moses. So Ishmael being the son of Hagar and Midian being the son of Keturah, the second wife of Abraham. Yes. Yeah. So they are closely related. They are closely they related. They would be from at least brothers. Yeah. Okay. Um, and not only that, the trade route going from Arabia to Gaza runs right through Dothan where they're going, where they where Joseph is with the mm-hmm. brothers. Yeah. And because around the city of Dothan was choice ground for raising sheep. Yeah. Um, so you were saying it's um, 
like something that they just happened to pop by, but that's specifically mm-hmm. where that location, that road mm-hmm. is specifically where the slave trade or just traders in general mm-hmm. would be traveling through constantly to get to Egypt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it might not, it might, that might be me reading onto the text a little yeah. bit. But Nevertheless. That's also, but that's also why yeah. the cisterns are there. Mm-hmm. Well, but Jacob wanted to go and like, hey, you know what? I'll go by myself and then I'll go save them. Right. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the slavers come by before Jacob can quote unquote save mm-hmm. um, Joseph shows that it's God's plan that he be sold into slavery, not saved by his brother and go live in Egypt. Yeah. And Joseph comes to that same conclusion later on with the famous line, yeah. what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also the cost at this time, 20 shekels was the common price in the law of Hammurabi for a yeah. slave and was about two years wages. Wow. That's an expensive. Uh... So the trade was not like, oh, we're just getting a few coins. Yeah, that's weird. Right. It's... I mean, I guess he would have already been a, a shepherd. Is mm-hmm. that a reason for that? Or would it just... No, that, that's the standard... price for a human. Hmm. That's higher than I would expect it to be in the ancient Near East. Yeah. Hmm. So the, the fact that they get this money from, that's kind of the kind of money that you would have to hide from your dad. Yeah. <laughs> but you could probably buy a pretty cool robe with it, though. Yeah. The robe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you find references to Canaanite stuff? Yep. Okay. Do you want to take the lead on that? Go Maybe. Ahead. Just right off the bat, it may be of many colors. It also may just be sleeved, which is interesting. One is way cooler than the other. Way cooler, well, yeah. no. I don't know, maybe. The other thing I found was, yes, so there's Egyptian paintings depicting Canaanites wearing long sleeves with yeah. robes with a in sashes going diagonally from the waist to the knee. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so that's cool. But another thing is a robe was a sign of your favor, a favor from the person giving it to you mm. and your authority. Oh, so that might go with the whole... The, the assistant thing. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, the color often refers to embroidery. Okay. So it has, like, it. it's not necessarily... The, the colored aspect is not always... It's not super uncommon. It's the fact that it was embroidered. And the okay. coloring is referring to... The long sleeves with the embroidery on of it. Many embroideries. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And so it's it's a he's being placed mm-hmm. above his brothers and he gets a dream. So you think that the dream was already fulfilled by the time any of this happened? I'm not making like a direct like Well, Jacob hadn't been bowing down to him. No. So Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But it is a it is significant that it's not just why would the brothers be jealous of a dream? Mm. Why would the brothers be jealous of just a cool jacket, right? Because theirs are brown and his are colored. Mm-hmm. No, it's he's been placed in authority, right? Which is also another uh, similar to Jesus. Everybody talks about like, oh look, look at his authority, and then you've mm-hmm. got connections later on to. Um, Christ with he gives you his robe of righteousness mm. yeah. right stuff like that um, but it's white yes 
I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not even funny. Yeah, the analogy breaks down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just an illusion. Well, even right? the being being sold by a man named Judah mm-hmm. is kind of... Yep. Both <laughs> monkeys. It pattern. seems like they planned that. Yep. And one of the 12. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I think that there's something interesting going on there with Judah. Because yep. if you're if you're reading along at home, you'll notice <laughs> that there's a slight aside after he is sold. Um, we don't immediately hop into Egypt. We actually go to a side story with um, Judah and what's her name? Um, I got it wrong on the way here, so I don't want to mispronounce it. Well, let's open up the Bibles we all have. It's not Tamar. Well, no, it's, it yeah, it's Tamar. It's, Is it Tamar? Yep. Okay. Anyways, there's this whole um, back and forth where um, Judah's granddaughter? Daughter. It would be his daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Um, tricks him into sleeping with her. Sort well, of. Okay. Sort of. <laughs> it's super weird. She She marries his eldest son. He dies without producing a heir. So then she, she marries this, the one un, younger, and then he's like, I don't want to have a kid with you, and quote-unquote wastes his seed, as the Bible yeah. says. Yeah. And then pattern happens, and uh, Judah's like, I don't like this. This isn't working. No. You go live with your parents mm-hmm. and whatever, and then he just kind of forgets about her, which is horrible well, for her in that culture. Him, he promises her his... Younger son. Yeah. The youngest son, who's yeah. not of age yet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then he just kind of forgets about her because he doesn't care. And then she's screwed as a woman in that culture, in that predicament. Mm-hmm. And so then she pretends to be a prostitute. Um, she, he sleeps with her. Mm-hmm. Um, then she has a kid. And then he's like, oh, comes back. Hey, why are you pregnant? You're, and then it's like, oh, no, that was you because you are not a very good father-in-law. And then he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Anyways, the reason I bring this up is because I think it parallels nicely with um, <coughs> Joseph and Potiphar. Yes. I think it shows how it... Joseph's already kind of a good guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? He's already someone of, of higher integrity than he ought to be for his situation. Where yep. Judah is not. Is Judah the oldest? He, no, he's Reuben not. Reuben is. Reuben's the oldest. Okay, cool. I was trying to make a connection there yeah. in my head and it didn't work out. Um yeah, I just think it's it's interesting the because clearly the author of Genesis is trying to parallel some stuff here. Well, and um, Reuben even goes and tries to rescue Joseph. Yeah, he doesn't want to. He mm-hmm. wants to. He goes with it, and then he's like, "I'm going to go back and get." Oh, I, th- I thought I thought it's Jude, uh, Judah. Uh, whichever. I don't, I don't think Judah goes back to. Get oh, him, I thought it? it was. Let's let's. It's it shows how much I was paying attention, guys. Yeah, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph was not there, he tore his Bless clothes. Reuben. Oh, forgive me. Yeah. Cool. The oldest brother was looking out for them. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, if you're going to make parallels to uh, Jesus' disciples, the oldest disciple, Peter, goes to Jesus and then fails. Hey, that's pretty interesting. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's hard to make direct I'll go. I'll there. go with you, right? I'll yeah. make sure this doesn't happen. And then denies him. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Tears, weeps, and falls apart. But that's just God's perfect plan through imperfect means. 
<laughs> I think that's all that is. Yep. And we're just hanging out in the Bible doing normal Bible things, and that's one of them. But Potiphar. Well, monkey sees pattern. I, I'm seeing a pattern. Um, yeah, Potiphar. So Potiphar's wife is actually the star of the of the show, um, despite not having her name mentioned. <laughs> Which is... Maybe because she's mean. She's not a very nice woman. I think she's... Kind of rude. The classical seductress. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where it parallels with the Judah story is, hey, um, don't get seduced or it'll be really bad for you. <laughs> right? It's it's showing mm-hmm. the integrity of, of Joseph. Um, weirdly enough, doesn't his jacket be, like play a part in this one as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. yeah he once again, uh, she takes his jacket and claims that he came after her in whatever yeah. context, mm-hmm. um, and then tells Potiphar that this happened, despite her being the one seeking after Joseph to begin with. Because, like I mentioned before, it's a symbol of authority, yeah. right? The robe, yeah. um, which means he was given to it, he was given it by Potiphar, because mm-hmm. you could identify people by their robe, yeah. right? So you've got the um, Joseph, the brothers bring the robe to Jacob, mm-hmm. and they're like, see, look, he's dead. Right, he goes, oh my gosh, uh, Joseph. And then Potiphar goes to, her, sorry, Potiphar's wife goes to Potiphar and says, see his robe, this is Joseph. He tried to sleep with me. Right? Yeah, and but then you've it, got, yeah. He, uh, the author does a great, at least, he tries to show how similar to Jacob when he went to uh, Laban's place, Laban prospered. And so when... Joseph went to Potiphar's place. Potiphar prospered. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like put in charge of yeah. basically his entire household. Yeah. And, and that's the pattern out of mm-hmm. Joseph's life. And now. Potiphar was an official to uh, yeah. Pharaoh. Which, okay, so a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you had a whole thing about yeah, this. Yeah, I don't know if I buy into it, but it's funny. Um, it's, I don't know if funny is the right word, but yeah. I yeah, I don't know, I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, Victor P. Hamilton has this weird, in his commentary on, no, I guess, well, I guess it's a commentary. Yeah, it's a commentary. On the Pentateuch, um, he has this weird thing where he's just like, anyway, so she may have just been sexually promiscuous, or as being an official to the to the Pharaoh, Potiphar might be a eunuch, and so his wife mm-hmm. was just, you know, horny. Hmm. Yep. And then he was like, anyway, so back to the story of Joseph. <laughs> just, yeah. And what? There's, there's another note, which is. Potiphar might not believe his wife. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's another thing he yeah. mentions. It's just like, anyway, that would kind of explain why Potiphar's like, mm, well. Yeah. Well, because he it gets happens. thrown. He in <laughs> well, because Joseph gets thrown in the next story yeah. in a political prison, the, mm-hmm. the, the royal prison for political prisoners. Yeah. Not executed for rape like the law is. Mm. And so either yeah. Potiphar is like, I really like this guy. And I know my wife. But that's that's not that seems less convincing. Sorry, that seems more convincing. The uh I I know Joseph. His 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 character speaks above him, mm-hmm. right? For him. I don't believe my wife. That seems more convincing to me than I like Joseph, um, even though he raped my wife, I'm gonna let him live in a prison and not get executed. Yeah. So it's yeah, it, it seems like he doesn't believe his wife. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. I know Joseph. He's an upstanding man. And that and that yeah. parallels with what is it? The tale of two brothers. Yes. Um, um, yeah. It's an Egyptian. It parallels. It's another kind one of those. Of, like um, eh. yeah. It's so in the very famous. By very famous, I mean the Egyptians really liked it at the mm-hmm. time. There is a tale called the Tale of Two Brothers about um, uh, the dog, um, the god of death, Anubis, Anubis and yeah. Bata. Um, and in their story, one of the events that takes place is one of the brothers is in a working somewhere and gets seduced by the boss's wife, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so because he's going to Egypt, there's... He's in Egypt. It's this big correlation between one of their most famous stories at the time. Yeah. The Israelites who have just come out of Egypt, who are receiving the book of Genesis, know the story. Yeah. Right. But there's 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 some thematic ties, but then it just doesn't follow through and it doesn't seem yeah. to care. Because it's, it's an aside in that story. Yeah. Most of the story is about the rivalry between the two brothers and they're like, yeah, deity. Yeah. I think if we're doing a biblical theology of cloaks and jackets, and that Joseph's like a uh, top candidate. Yep. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. And I think we end up going into, is that act four? Prison time? Yeah. So act two was uh, Joseph's conflict in the imperial power of Egypt. It's 41. And then 42 to 44 is family conflict in Canaan. Okay, no, it's not, not yet into the family conflict. So we're still in act two. Oh my goodness, we're still in Act Two. Hey. <laughs> um, he's yeah. in prison. He's it's in prison, sad. and we get a, we do it again. It's the double dream, which we've already mentioned the significance for. Um, but it also seems to indicate that Joseph just has dream interpretation, like I, that God does it, and it's not by his power, but it seems to be consistent enough that he just is the archetypical wise man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's reminiscent of court tales. Yeah, it's court tales. It, it's... It, Daniel imitates him. Mm. Right? Like, the the way that mm-hmm. um, the spirit of the gods is upon him. Uh, so, the spirit of the gods is a, tr- is a translation in Daniel, which alludes to the story of Joseph. It can be said that the spirit of the gods is upon him, just because of the way Elohim is used, there's mm-hmm. actually no indication. So it could be that it's alluding specifically to um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob having an influence on Joseph. Or it could just be that from the perception of the um, the onlookers, the Egyptians, mm-hmm. the culture that he's in, it appears he has the the skills that their wise men would have, which is the spirit of the gods being upon them. Yeah. So yeah. depending on how you want to take that, I wouldn't... It's not parallel to the Holy Spirit, but but it is if it's God specifically upon him. Well, and if it is, but the the correlation to the Holy Spirit would be if it is God doing that, then it would be spirit empowerment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, is it saying that the the text is not saying the Holy Spirit because yeah. there's the conception of that is not there yet because we're in the first book of the Bible. Yeah. But the elute us New Testament people looking back on it would go the whole Yeah, spirit. with the fullness of revelation yeah. we'd be. Yeah. Well, it's, again, like when he went to Potiphar's house. He goes into prison, and then he's like, hey, you know what? This guy's really good at administration. He's honest. Mm-hmm. He has integrity. And so it might even be that maybe Potiphar may have 
played a hand even i've that's what that's what i've read elsewhere as well where it's if like he was an official yeah yeah and it's just like hey um everybody kind of knows that you're kind of got screwed over yeah um, but no it's uh joseph ray ray uh rises in in authority and in responsibility even within the prison yeah yep um who are the two the two prisoners again? I'm, I'm the cup wine bearer? drinker, the cupbearer, <laughs> wine drinker, and the baker. Baker. The well, baker. specifically, the cupbearer is the reason I said wine drinker. He's the one that tests mm-hmm. the wine for the pharaoh, so he doesn't get assassinated. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah so the baker is uh, has this dream that shows he's going to die, and he does. Yeah. I, I Proof had a, one. I had a children's Bible that yeah. <laughs> was, went through drawings and like it was like illustrated, and I always felt so bad because it drew the baker in like this really sympathetic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh I always it, felt bad for. Him. Was it the one where the dude like it depicts the dream and it's just him in a cage getting eaten by crows and it's just him like slumped over like a carcass? Man, that's not a kid's Bible. I don't think it was. Really? This it sounds, was in water paint. That's brutal. I think I think so. Was it the one where the, he's trying to fight the crows with the baskets <laughs> yeah. on his head and the, and he's a fat guy? Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> so weird. It's he's are we he's, are we bonding over a traumatic child experience with a Bible? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of those illustrations, he didn't really need them there. You know? Yeah, sometimes like the Bible's an intense book for adults and every now and then we're just like, anyway, so here you go, kids. It's yeah. Here, it, I water-painted a death. <laughs> There's some parts that are so intense, you don't hear sermons on them. Yeah, but, okay, so Baker dies. Yep. But the cupbearer, yep. Joseph's like, hey, you're going to make it back in the palace. Mm-hmm. Hey, talk about me, please. Hey, could you so, say something? And is it like seven years? I believe it's seven years that he, he stays in there, which actually ties it into uh, uh, Jacob's whole thing with his wife. Yep. Laban tricking him. Um, which is no good. Hmm? It's a two. It's a long time, and sadly, while you guys are finding the time, the wine drinker forgets. Yeah, how do you forget that? I think what it is, is you just got out of prison because of, you're put in a political prison, right? So the reason he's put in there is either because he failed at his job or he's suspected for treason. Right. Right? Um. Among those kind of things. He gets out. It's traumatic. He's in a pit. Like, that's those prisons are not like today's prisons. Those are bad places. Um, it was two years. You're right. Yeah. And so I think him getting out, he's overexcited that he's out. He's back at his job. He's also terrified of, because he's under watch, mm-hmm. if he was put in a political prison. Right. So like people are watching him. He's consumed with himself. Hmm, the mix yeah. of emotions, the joys, the terror. Mm-hmm. And the last thing he wants to do is go talk to the guy that put him in prison. Yeah. And ask him a favor. Well, and it's he's forgotten. Like yeah. um the cupbearer forgets. But then the text several times, I think, in that in that segment, in that act, mm-hmm. um, the text says, and but God remembered Joseph. Yes. Which is very reminiscent of, but God remembered Noah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, but God remembered the promise that he had with Abraham. Yeah. And mm-hmm. stuff like that. Which comes up in Exodus, which mm-hmm. there would be a clear tie between mm-hmm. the Lord heard the groaning of his people. The and Lord remembered, remembered them. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. which is super interesting. Um, but another double dream occurs. Yeah. 
Double Down, Double Dream. And this is another one for Pharaoh. Yes. Which is kind of cool. It's like the first time they actually get to go to Egypt and they don't just screw them over with like some weird wife shenanigan stuff. <laughs> well, actually, it started off with a wife shenanigan. It did. It did. A wife shenanigan. A typology of wife shenanigan. <laughs> oh, no. We have to write that book now. The typology of wife shenanigans. <laughs> That's no the good. biblical theology of wife shenanigans. Oh, man. Oh, we're getting canceled. Maybe. We haven't even started. <laughs> we haven't even started yet. <laughs> Don't cancel us before you've heard what terrible things we have to say. <laughs> That's going to make it into the clips. So the, there's a double dream. Pharaoh's super sad. Yeah. Um, the first one is the grain. Yeah, it's yeah. it's about the famine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's horrifying. Yeah. Like it's... It would be a it, terrible thing to hear as a ruler. As a ruler, yeah. Hey, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Hey, but then it's going to be horrible and it's going to be worse than it when everything's everything was fine. Everything's great. Mm. And then everything's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then the badness swallows up the greatness. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. The bad is so bad, you forget the good was good. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And grain and in meat. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, specifically... The cow one terrifies me specifically. Yeah, probably because that same children's book. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you the, just see the, like the scrawny, like bony cow, cow eating up the big one. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Oh, we did read the same book. <laughs> um, yeah. So double dream reiterating because oftentimes it was seen in those um, cultures with the double yeah. dream that it was oh there's a pattern. Yeah. If you got a triple dream, it was confirmation from the gods that this was happening. Yeah. But double dream. So before this, there would have been no reason for the Pharaoh to believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had anything to do with this. Mm -hmm. But it's only through the the usefulness of Joseph, the um, gift of the interpretation of dreams, that God is even made known within this this Pharaoh, and and even the uh, the favor that's going to be placed upon the Israelites because of this is God using the Egyptians once again to bless the Israelites. Yeah. Which he's done before. And the Israel or the Egyptians just keep basically giving <laughs> giving the Israelites a bunch of stuff. It's yeah, it's it's an interesting go. Yep. But that does draw us into the next event because in the oh sorry, did you have something to say about that? Are we moving past the dreams? I, I think so, unless you have something more to say. Yes, specifically. It's related to the robes. So okay. Oh sorry. Are we going into Joseph being rewarded? Yeah. Okay. It comes what up there. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's rewarded with, because um, he's in charge of the storehouses. Yes. He becomes in part of, like, part of uh, the administrative class of uh, Pharaoh's mm -hmm. basically doomsday preparation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he now believes that yeah. the, everything's going to... He makes him second to Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Second to him. Yeah. Um, and what he does is he gives him the signet ring. Yeah. And puts him on Pharaoh's chariot. Yeah. And brings him around town. That's right? so cool. Right? So that everybody knows. See this guy? He's got the ring and he's got the chariot. Mm -hmm. Right? Symbol of favor and authority. Yeah. Like the robes. Yeah. But the Egypt, but Egyptian style. Is this progressive parallelism? Potentially. Cool. So it's 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 the it's the penultimate version of everything that he's been given. Mm -hmm. Dreams, rings, uh, favor and authority. Blessing. Wow. Destroyed. Destroyed. Mm -hmm. Rings, favored blessing. Uh, robe, 
Dreams, favored blessing. Yeah. Destroyed. Robes, favored blessing. And it occurs. Cool. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So it's bringing him up um, above the entirety of Egypt. And he's not even above his family anymore. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So that's when the next part comes is the famine happens. And like we said before, what do Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all do when famine hits? They go to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Anyways, so they well, show up. One of them goes to Philist- to the Philistines, I think. How do they go to the Philistines? They don't exist yet. That's what it says. When? Where? <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. Let's move on. I'm sorry. Maybe I just don't understand who the Philistines are. I'm they sorry. go to the cities. Yeah, they go yeah. to the big cities. Are you talking Major about Major nations. Yeah. I don't think he's a Philistine, is he? Well, he's not Egyptian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was the sound of confused rolling. <laughs> oh. Okay, um, well. But they go to kings of other lands. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically with Abraham, goes to Egypt. Yeah. Um, so if this this is like, we're getting close to the season finale. This is, <laughs> if we're looking at this as an episode or a season, you know, yeah. this is... This is where it all comes together. Yeah, like yeah. he gets put on his chariot and then everything goes black. You're, and it says, continue watching. Yeah, you're expecting when Jacob <laughs> arrives that he's going to tell uh, Rachel, sorry, Rebecca yeah. and Leah, hey, you're my sister. What? M- like with like with Abraham. Like, <laughs> oh, like with Abraham. Hey, can we move on? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'd like to sit in this Netflix analogy of Joseph for just a little oh, bit longer. Goodness. I think if we, I would love to see the story of Joseph, but wait, no, no that's no, a little joke by the It Avengers is significant tales. that Jacob doesn't tell his wife that, hey, pretend to be my sister for a while, like the other patriarchs. Does do. Joseph have a wife at this point? No, 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 Jacob. Boy, he has kids. <laughs> oh, sorry. Jacob. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He does. He does. Um, because he marries the daughter of the priest of On. Yeah. And oh, then, okay. yeah. yeah. And his the two names of his sons, one means like healing the sorrows of the past. Yeah. Um, and then the other, oh, I had it written down. Isn't it uh, Methuselah and Ephraim? Manasseh. 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 Manasseh Methuselah means forgetfulness. Wow. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Hmm. That's um, why it's significant Ephraim. that Manasseh forgets God. Yeah. Manasseh and Ephraim. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, second son name is the reminder that God will make Joseph a f- uh, fruitful servant, even in a land of torment, uncertainty, and disapproval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, Victor P. Hamilton again. Nice. From nice his commentary. But yeah, so the sons get sent to Egypt. Yeah. And uh, Joseph really takes him for a ride. Yeah. yeah, it's it's actually kind of awesome. The whole that's why I say there's like character development too, is because there's this whole um, where he's sitting at the table with his brothers and he's giving them food to eat as they've come to negotiate for basically because they're growing in size, right? They're a decent sized nation. They he's got twelve sons and they've all got uh, children of their own, and then they're starting to build a bit of an empire, right? Just as as Joseph has. But Joseph wasn't included in this building of an empire. So now they're coming to him and he's like, oh man, you guys suck. <laughs> right? Like, Well, it's it's interesting. I, Victor P. Hamilton, mm-hmm. his whole thing, I hate to bring him up continually, but anyway. It's a fun name it's, to say. It's good. Um, his whole thing is like, yeah, is he, even, is he being vindictive? Is he being mm-hmm. like, is he trying to get revenge? Is he testing the waters? And his whole thing is, I don't really know, but he cries more than everyone else in Genesis combined. Because yeah. every now and then he like, 
I need to leave the room. And then yeah. he goes to the back, balls his eyes out, and then comes back and goes, you should go back to your family. Well, we should <laughs> then explain the, the, the back and forth. Okay, yeah. Like, do you want to... You can go for it if you oh, know okay. it off your head. So they come yeah. to Egypt wanting to buy grain. Yeah. Joseph's there because he's mm-hmm. the head of the grain operation. Because <laughs> for the seven years that they weren't in Egypt, that he was, yeah. being the head of the operation that he told Pharaoh to do was take a segment of all of the harvested grain, put it into storehouses so that when the famine comes, we can ration it out mm-hmm. for those seven years. Right, because you're gonna because of the time of blessing, those seven years is gonna produce more than you do normally a year. Mm. So take the bonus, put that in, keep it for the seven years you're not gonna produce. Smart plan. Yeah. Um, he does pays off. They've got so much they're selling to the other nations because, like in the previous stories, Joseph is a blessing to the nations mm-hmm. and gives. Basically, he produces so much that they can sell to other people and help them out. And so the Canaanites come in. They want to buy some grain and Joseph's like, oh, hey, bring those guys to the side. I want to mm. do something with them because yeah. um, he recognizes them and they don't recognize him because he's wearing Egyptian garb now. Yeah. He's got the eye makeup on that you see in all the <laughs> the movies. He looks cool. You he know. looks very different in that children's Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Even I didn't recognize him. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's he. I mean, if you see the. If the movies are accurate enough, right? <laughs> a lot of the Canaanites have long hair. Yeah. Being high status, he's probably bald now. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of things that are different about him. Um, but they bring him to his house because they're like, cool, uh, let's let's get more grain. Um, he sells it to them. And then what exactly... He tests his brothers. First of all, he wants to give them grain, but he wants them to bring their youngest brother. Mm-hmm. But their youngest brother's not there. Yeah. Benjamin stayed home because it's Jacob's favorite. Yeah. Now that Joseph is Joseph's gone. Joseph's gone and he loved Rebecca more. Yeah. No. Rebecca? Yes. 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 Um, and so... Ra- Rachel. Is it Rachel? Rebecca's um, Isaac's wife. Okay, that's what it... Yeah. Yeah. I thought I got it wrong. So he tells... Rachel. Uh, them go back and get him. But what is it? Is it he keeps? They have to go back. They, they he get they get some of the food. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, bring your younger brother." And we'll they give bring you more. their young. They bring he brings. Uh, they bring their younger brother, which would be Benjamin. Yes, yes, the youngest brother. Um, and then it's at that point when he's like, "Oh, let's have another feast and whatever." And yep. then anyway, he puts the silver. His silver goblet in the in yep. the uh, basket of grain, and then they go away. He sends chariots after them or whatever they find, and they go, "Ah, you thieving guys!" Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then they come back, and then Judah's like, "Don't imprison them. Take me." And, well, and this is, is significant because Jacob, when they came back, he didn't want to send Benjamin the first time because he wanted to make sure Benjamin was safe. Yeah, and by sending, when they came back, and Judah tells the father. He wants us to bring Benjamin, mm-hmm. right? And Judah's like, you better make sure he comes back alive, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? And he's telling Judah this, the one who sold the last youngest son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, and it's at that point that that uh, Joseph just breaks down. Well, well right? so they go, they do the whole thing, and he's like, I'm keeping your, uh, your youngest son. Yeah. 
And Judah's like, no, please don't. Because Judah's the one that sold Joseph. Yeah. Judah's the one that was promised by Jacob, made a promise to Jacob that he would bring Benjamin back. Yeah. This is this is his job, mm-hmm. and he's doing it again. Mm. Yeah. So you think if it is vindictive, it is vindictive in the sense that he's wanting Judah to suffer the whole thing again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, the disappointment of his father again. Yeah, because yeah. now Judah at this time, he's now been married, has kids of his own. Mm-hmm. He's he's a father. Like there's mm-hmm. a there's a he's grown up. Yeah. Judah's grown up. He's now taking charge of the the brothers and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's Judah's specific line that is so crazy to me. Um so the passage is Genesis 44 um like 24 to 34 like the end of the chapter. Um and it's Judah pleading to Joseph. He doesn't know it's Joseph. He thinks it's just uh, head of head guy uh, right underneath Pharaoh, who's got all the authority in the world and is going to kill their youngest brother. Yeah, and he basically gives them the down low of like, "Hey, when we went, we said we would do this, but our father, he said, uh, basically, our father said the last time you guys went out with my youngest son, he came back in pieces, mm-hmm. and he died, mm-hmm. and he was my favorite." He meant everything to me, right? Mm-hmm. Now I have a new youngest son from the same wife, Benjamin. If you take him and he doesn't come back, you are dragging me down to Sheol in this evil act, right? And he says, therefore, uh, as soon as I came to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, um, his life will is bound to the boy's life as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die and your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, f- with sorrow to she- Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Mm. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. And that's when Joseph goes to step away. Because wow. his brother is completely repentant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I killed my first brother and I'm about to do it the same mm-hmm. if this right. happens. Because he, he, he sends them away, yeah. balls his eyes out, and then he's like, okay, let them in. And then he tells them who he is. Yeah. yeah. And then that who part is? is also really good. Um. He does the whole, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Which is yeah. just such a, it's so wild. That's well, emblematic of the whole story. Oh, I think it's, yeah, I think or, you can hold, build a whole biblical theology well, on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it says he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. Mm-hmm. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. Yeah. Every, they heard it. Mm-hmm. The, his brothers heard it, right? And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Mm. Right, just opens up immediately, <laughs> right? And his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. They were like, what? What? 
Yeah. Like they're like utterly lost. Judah just emptied his soul to this guy asking for repentance, not knowing it's the guy he he's talking about mm-hmm. in the story. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just beautiful. He says, come near to me, please. And it's like group, like brother hug. <laughs> Embrace <laughs> like, me. Come here. Like weep with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you've sold me here. Basically saying, don't, it's okay. Yeah. Don't hate yourselves mm. because of what you've done. Um, Cause God sent me before you to preserve life. Yeah. Joseph knows. Cause like, mm-hmm. and then they do the famous line, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Yeah. And it's a, Beautiful thing. And then they go back for Jacob. Jacob comes. There's a whole big reunion there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a much better verse than for I know the plans I have for you. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's it because for I know the plans I have for you is like it's a it doesn't encompass the idea of mm-hmm. that. God uses that. God is Lord over evil. Yeah. Right. And. Mm-hmm. Though that verse is still true and good and yeah. the word of the Lord. Well, it's actually, it could be a parallel verse with, with this. Yeah. Where it's the, the entirety of the nation of Israel is blessed by this. Whereas the nation of Israel is, I think, 70 people. It says the 70 people <laughs> enter Egypt. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I guess. Well, 70 people that are probably members of the family. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. more likely because of the way they counted uh, population. It was more likely 70 men. So mm. that could be... Yeah, just but then their slaves, their servants, their yeah. em, the the people that they have employed under them as well. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are probably Which, seventy men of the family. Seventy men of the family, then all the others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that are not mentioned. Yeah, so I like mean, more like a tribe. Their interaction with Egypt is probably closer seen to like a vassal treaty than mm-hmm. it is refugees. Well, they just give them the whole land of Goshen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're just like, hey, you know what? We don't eat. What you guys eat, we're not really shepherds. Have this place that makes sense to you, but not for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it sets the scene for for Exodus as well, that um, the amount of trading that was going on, the amount of food that they had to take out because of the famine, likely just kept building up debts to the point where that's how the uh, Israelites got into slavery in the first place. Mm-hmm. Was that them paying off their debts yeah. eventually became... They went to debtor's prison, and they got sold as, into slavery. Yeah. But just as Joseph is emblematic of Christ, he's also emblematic of Israel's exodus. Um, yeah. So if the promised land in this story is Egypt, it will be Canaan in the next one. Yeah. And that's uh, that leads us into the Christolo- Christological connections. Yeah. The Christ connections. Um, do you mind if I just run through them? Go yeah. for it. Okay. So you've got Joseph. He's the he's a son of the patriarch right of the family um and is basically from a young age promised kingship stars symbolize his kingship mm. right so you've got the connection to the star in the sky leading to his birth yeah. the the promise of the stars in his dreams um you've also got um he has 12 brothers 12 disciples one of them sells him for the same amount of money that Judas sells Jesus um, to the ruling body. Um, and, uh, he is sold in slavery 
right? Mm-hmm. Bought for that thir- the 30 coins, the shekels. Um, the oldest brother, Reuben, in yeah. parallel with Peter, tries to go back to save him, fails, rejects him, yeah. similar thing, weeps, fails. Um, the Judah-Judah connection. Yeah. Then when he is in, but when he is then with Potiphar's wife, he's accused of a crime that he is not guilty of. Yeah. Jesus is accused of a crime he is not guilty of. Yeah. Thrown into prison. Um, he goes down into the pit, theologically mm-hmm. dies. Yeah. But what's significant is the two people that are with him. On the in the place where he dies, yeah. near to his death, cupbearer. Mm-hmm. One is saved, one is not. No. Wine and bread. That too. But <laughs> yeah. one is one is saved and one is not. Yes, yes. Because the bread guy. He's broken. His body is destroyed. The wine guy is continuously poured out in front of the king. Stretch, but I like it. It is a yep. stretch. It feels like literary criticism more than it does yeah. prophetic typology. Yeah. Then he rises up out of it at the breaking of his body and the rising and the pouring out of the wine, the blood, right? To second under Pharaoh, second under the father, given mm. authority over the nations. Yeah which in turn provides salvation for his brothers, the ones that condemned him, mm-hmm. mm. his people, yep. right? Then he offers forgiveness for him because, like Jesus says, they do not know what they are doing. Mm. Yeah, God had this planned, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so you see those connections. They're brought into the land of promise. The family is saved. The father and the son are reunited. Um, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, you've got the robe imagery. Yeah. Um, upon Jesus' death, right? When he's a he's a man of great status and authority, known by everyone, right? And is killed for it, right? In both those stories with Joseph, his robe is taken. Jesus, on the point of his death, his robes are taken and distributed yeah. amongst the guards. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the righteous sufferer terminology we were talking about earlier connects... Yeah. Everybody together in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the man with the spirit, the one who speaks the words of God. Yeah. Um, he is, in this story, sinless. His sin is not a, a recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it is the flaunting it, flaunting yes. his dreams. Yeah. But it's, it's like him and Daniel. Yep. Um, yeah. Those are the those are the ones where their they their character does not falter. Yeah, mm-hmm. per se. Um, but the specifically the bread and wine thing. The reason I bring that up is it would not be a thing that like in the passage you're going, oh, this is significant because of a later covenant. Yeah, like that would not be anything. But going back and looking at it and seeing at the place the the point of death, the Last Supper. Yeah. Right at the breaking of the body and the pouring out of the blood, um, he is raised up. Yeah, I'm sure there's more. Yeah, um, Joseph Joseph has the most amount of ink spilt on him in Genesis. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild. I think it's all set up for Exodus, man. Yeah, I think like if you take mosaic authorship, mm-hmm. um, 
it's it's got to be a big deal to figure why they were in Egypt in the first place. It, yep. it establishes national identity. It establishes joint struggle. It even establishes the fulfillment of God's promises. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And the expectation that they will get out of slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so they see that in Joseph's life. They see that now in their life being brought out. And now they're either hypothetically, they're, they receive this text or what became this text um, at Mount Sinai. And they are like, okay, so this is this is the plan of God, much like how God brought then uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob and the whole family mm-hmm. to Goshen, which was a beautiful land, lush yeah. for their for their uh, for their life. So God is bringing us to Canaan, which is the promised land, which is also lush, yeah. and was ultimately promised to. Not just that, the thing that uh, Timothy Mackey brings up in the Bible Project is. Goshen and Garden in Hebrew mm-hmm. are one character off. So you think there's like kind of a play on words going there? Potentially. Begins mm. and ends in a garden, but yeah. people still die. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meaning, this is what it'll be like, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that if, uh, if you think we miss something, if you see a tie into Christ, if you see a tie into some other part of the Old Testament... Um, or even if you just have a, a personal reflection on it, we would love to hear it. Um, that's that's my big ask for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that and maybe like show a friend the podcast. Um. That's the other connection. Um, <laughs> we brought it up in the resurrection episode. Uh, they don't recognize him until he reveals himself. The road to Emmaus. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yet he still di- yet he dines with them. Yeah. Dines with them. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Everything. They don't recognize him, and then mm-hmm. he's like, "Hey, I'm Joseph." Yeah. Hey, I'm Jesus. And they're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even recognize you. Oh my goodness. You were sitting with us for hours. <laughs> yeah. I still don't understand the forensics of that. How that works. Did he did he change his appearance? Did he just hide the truth from them? How did it work? We won't Egyptian know. Egyptian style is just so different. Oh no, I don't mean yeah. for Joseph, I mean for Christ. Oh um illusion magic. What? I don't think you can say illusion. D D illusion magic. I don't think Jesus played D&D. Just going to say that. What? Okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Fair enough. Are you saying... That's going to end up in a short or the intro. Anyway, speaking of intros, outros. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's do an outro that I had already started and then Josh was like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, so I'm sorry, a listener. Did you start the outro? Josh just... <laughs> you, you, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Josh is playing the, uh, the part of the fan, which is um, responding to questions I ask. <laughs> Anyways, it's a whole thing. We're trying to build a community that starts conversation around uh, the Christian worldview. And the best way to do that is to tell us we're right, wrong, or in between. (laughs) So when I say uh, I want fan interaction, we want emails. We want to know if if you agree with um, what we're putting out there, if you have something to add. I, I just questions, that, questions, concerns, comments. It can be theological. It can be you also agree with me that Josh's voice sounds like a dude, bro. It does. I do I'm, sound I'm, like I'm a good with, bro. I'm good with whatever. A dudes. Yeah. Let's build this community. It's good. Cool. I'm fun. I, I, this, this is fun. Is, did you say I'm fun? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's <laughs> a lie. I'm fun. That's a lie. No, please, no. guys. <laughs> this could be fun. That sounds <laughs> desperate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Much like the ending Anyways, of this episode. Continue this, no, this outro. This is fun. This outro is good. <laughs> Let's try it a third time. Oh,
<laughs> hey guys, you've listened to Second Rate Saints. Thanks for listening this far. Please subscribe. Please check out our YouTube, our Instagram, our website, our blog posts, our book reviews, and whatever else you can find that's branded with that little dude with the halo. Okay, thanks guys. Have a good week. And that's a dope story.